0: It was a crime that has left many people in our region reeling, and one that is making us all take a closer look at the kind of society in which we live. On a quiet Sunday night in northwest London, as they often did, Salman Afzal, his wife Madia, their daughter Yunma, son Faez, and Talat, the grandmother of the family, went for an evening walk. But instead of coming home from that walk, Salman, Madia, Yunma, and Talat were murdered. And young Fayez was left in hospital with serious injuries. In this episode of the Blackburn News podcast, we learn more about the family and we hear from some prominent Muslim voices in the London community who say we should not be surprised or shocked that something like this would happen in Canada, a country that many would argue has long deluded itself into believing that racism and Islamophobia are problems that exist elsewhere, but not here.
1: Here's your host, Craig Needles. Four people killed. One young boy left without his family. The world has mourned with London and the Muslim community after the Afsal family was struck down by a driver who allegedly intended to kill them due to their Muslim faith. But what do we know about this family? Salman Afzal was 46. He was a physiotherapist who always had a smile on his face, according to his friends. His wife, Mattia Salman, was 44. She was a PhD candidate, in engineering at Western University. Salman Afzal's mother... Talat was 74. She was called the pillar of the family. Yumna Afzal was 15. This is Thames Valley District School Board Education Director Mark Fisher describing her at a vigil for the family held earlier this week.
2: Fifteen-year-old Yumna was a student at Oak Ridge Secondary School, which is just a short walk from this mosque. Her teacher said Yumna loved to learn, enjoyed the company of her friends and classmates, and wanted to make her family proud of her efforts. Her teachers described her as a smart and dedicated grade 9 honor roll student who was always ready to support her friends and the community. She was creative, she liked to paint, she was confident and had a bright and sparkling personality. She arrived to class with a beaming smile each and every day. Yumna dreamed about travel and someday becoming a business owner as a way of giving back to her community. She was caring, compassionate, and devoted to giving her best efforts each and every day. Together, we stand with our London family and vow to purposely make real change in our communities. Thank you very much.
1: Her brother Fayez is nine. He's going to survive this. He's going to spend the rest of his life without his grandmother, his parents, and his sister. Here's the Imam of the London Muslim mosque, Arizhan Anwar from the same vigil.
3: Gone now, but forever in our hearts. They were loved when they were alive. Their memory will be cherished now that they're gone. We will honor their memory. We will take care of the surviving orphan. Fayez,
1: he is our son. We will take care of him. Their deaths didn't have to happen. And they've left a community grieving and on edge. On the Blackburn News podcast today, we'll be having a roundtable discussion with three members of the London Muslim community. Academic Salma Toba, political organizer Maryam Hamou, and former political candidate Ali Chabar joining us. Here on the podcast today. Thank you, all three of you, for joining us. Thank you, Chris. Thanks. Chris. Thanks. I'll, I'll ask uh, any of you first. Uh, we have uh, the, the the vigil this week. Uh, Ten thousand Londoners show up to that. We'll talk about that portion of it first. What is the feeling when you see this huge amount of? Uh, an outpouring of, of of support from the London community, not just from the Muslim community, but from a lot of other people outside of the Muslim community saying, hey, we're here, we, we, we've got your back. I, obviously that doesn't fix things, but at the same time, there has to be some level of comfort to that. What What, what is that feeling like knowing that we have this huge uh, crowd that came to that vigil this week?
4: Mm, I can start. Um, yeah, please. I'm, I'm happy. You know, over 10,000 people... And counting, so many people online watched as well. We don't we don't um, talk about the online presence, but there was a huge online presence as well. I think people were really looking to heal. Um, we were looking towards our faith community um, to kind of get us through this part of the healing process. And um, and you know, having the 10,000 people there, it was it was really helpful. Um, to help us kind of all mourn together because because we don't see this strictly as a Muslim problem I see this right now as London London Ontario having to carry this pretty much for all of Canada at this point so it's really kind of all of us in London that are carrying this and we all have to mourn as well but you know it does hit Muslims a little bit closer but I understand how everybody is hurting right now
1: Salma, anything you want to add to that?
5: Yeah, yeah. I think it uh, was very, I guess, um, uplifting to see everybody come out in those numbers. I think, like Mariam said, everybody was particularly shocked and distraught, um, obviously more so Muslims and, and visible minorities in the city. Um, but I've had, you know, co and friends uh, of all races and backgrounds expressed just how shocked and distraught they were at the, at this event uh, taking place this violence, um, and so I have no doubt that um, everybody kind of needed that moment of coming together um, and having that space of, of recognizing and, and honoring the, the lives that were taken.
1: What was it like for you, Ali, when you were when you were there? Yeah, for the we we've, we've
3: been living this COVID reality for a year and a half now, and uh, during that time, I think. Many of us, if not all of us, have had to um, mourn individually when there's been a loss of a family member or a loss of a friend or, you know, and that's it hasn't been easy because um, we're supposed to be there together in, in times of joy and times of mourning and to mourn. Uh, uh, via a phone call or to to mourn via a screen, uh, 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 you know, uh, a Zoom call or or a a Microsoft Teams call. I mean, it's a supplement, but it's not a substitute for the real thing. And so for me, um, from a personal perspective, uh, despite the tragedy, despite the horrific uh, um, nature of what took place, it was the first time in since March of last year that we have been able to collectively mourn as a community, both not just a Muslim community, but also a larger community, um, which, which because of yesterday, because we had the prime minister and the premier and and all of these leaders from right across the country, I use the term community in a national sense. We came together as a community, a national community, to mourn together, and I think that's an important part of the grieving. Process It's an important part of the mourning process, not just for the family, not just for the Muslim community, but for, for the collective there. And uh, it, it was a noteworthy takeaway for me uh, uh, flowing from from last night.
1: Uh, the, the reason, obviously, for the gathering last night is a horrific one. And I wanted to ask about uh, a, a Twitter thread that, that Ali had. We don't have to go through the whole thing here, but I'll, uh, I'll post a link to it when this goes uh, on the Blackburn News website. But uh, you said that this should not be referred to as an unthinkable tragedy. And I agree. It, it should not be. Uh, we think about what happened in New Zealand, and you mentioned uh, Quebec City. That was mentioned several times at the at, at the vigil last night. This is not something that was a one off occurrence where someone said, "I want to kill some Muslim people." This is something that's happened, sadly, horrifically, uh, somewhat regularly around the world. How does one? wrap their head around that what what what, what is, and you put it pretty well in the, the the twitter thread alley but i'll ask uh you and alas and Miriam as well like what how do you come to grips with the fact that there are people out there who want to do this it, it, it hurts my heart to say it but i know it's true
3: yeah and, and so i was taking exception to the fact that people were refer- and i think well-intentioned people and mm. well-meaning people were saying oh this is unthinkable and uh it may be unthinkable to some people who don't have to think about it, uh, but for far too many people in London, Ontario, for far too many people across this province, across this country, uh, across North America and other parts of the world, we think about it every day. We deal with it every day. Something as seemingly innocent as, as going to the mosque on a Friday, uh, I'd be lying to you guys if I didn't say every single time that I'm walking into the mosque the thought crosses my mind that New Zealand happened and we thought it was an isolated event. Quebec City thought happened. And we thought it was an isolated event. The stabbing in Etobicoke happened. And we thought it was an isolated event. And I always, always used to take a measure of comfort and solace in the fact that those things happened there, wherever there is, right? Oh, it's halfway across the world or it was uh, another part of the country or these are mass shootings that take place in the States, but not, not London, Ontario. Like this is home home is safe this is you know those are things that we see on a screen and that was shattered on sunday night it was shattered when there was a family of five that went out for a walk and you know it's the thing the irony of it i don't know if the irony is the right word but like they went for a walk the only thing we can do these days is go for a walk the only thing we're allowed to do these days is go for a walk that's it and they went for a walk a grandma and a mother and a father and a brother and a sister went for a walk and they were to, to 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 quote our police chief, they were targeted because they were members of. Uh, they were targeted because of their Islamic faith, and it leads us. Um, and it's, to be honest with you, it's not to get into degrees of this, but it's it's worse for Selma, it's worse for Mariam, it's worse for my mother and my sister, and it's worse for the women who are who are more readily identifiable as Muslims than me. I could be Portuguese or Brazilian or Greek, right? Nobody would really know, but they're they're walking. They're walking targets and, and they should never have to feel that way. And it, it shattered that sense of security and stability. And, and I, I can't I can't I can't get past that right now. Mm-hmm. I just can't get past it.
1: Salma or Miriam, anything you want to add to that?
5: Yeah, I was just I think Adi, you put it perfectly when you said it's unthinkable for those who never have to think about it. Um, I think every day that I leave my house you know, even before Quebec City, even before um, all of the acts of violence that, you know, would take several minutes to list have, you know, transpired, uh, you know, my safety is something that I constantly think about when someone's looking at me funny in the grocery store. I'm thinking, do they want me dead? You know, like, where are their hands? Are they about to attack? You know, like, those are thoughts that I regularly have. Um, And so it's not unthinkable for so many of us. Um, and even like, you know, just when you talk about safety in the mosque, even again, before Quebec City even happened, I have had conversations with friends where we wonder, you know, about our safety when we gather. Um, there was a, a time I remember attending Friday or, you know, it was evening prayers um, at the mosque, just on a regular day. It was like on a Tuesday. Um, and the imam casually gets up on the mic and said, you know, we've had a threat come in. Um, and so if you see anybody suspicious looking around the mosque, please alert us so we we can alert the authorities just a regular you know weekday evening um and so this you know type of violence i think has been on our minds for a, a very long time and um once quebec city happened it just kind of um you know re- reaffirmed that that this is our reality and that like you said craig that people want us dead mm-hmm. um and it's not something easy that you um, I guess they have to deal with, but it's, it's really our reality that we do have to be constantly aware of our surroundings and wonder about our safety and wonder about our security when we just walk around in public.
4: Ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so true. And the other thing that I always worry about is somebody attacking me in front of my children, <clears throat> excuse me, because that to me is the worst thing that could possibly happen. It victimizes me and I've never been a victim in front of my children ever. And I just never want that to happen because I don't want my children to see me victimized. And I don't want them to ever think that Muslims can or have to, you know, be in that position. It just, it drives me crazy. And I just think that with my children, I think we should be past all of this. Like, even with me, we should be past all this. Um, but I I I know there are always going to be these weird lone wolf people but we need to know who they are we need for like public safety officials to have this stuff marked down we know there is white terrorism we know this we know that trump made white terrorism a thing it's like a thing right now and if our agencies our public agencies aren't taking it as seriously as they should be then you know what i'm sorry who's to blame where's the culpability why do i have to wear it why does selma have to wear it why did the Mus- why does the muslim community have to wear something that you know the public safety officials haven't been able to work around haven't been able to 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 get to i i don't know why um where we're, we're having to wear this we have warned public safety officials in the 90s when 9 11 happened how many times was the mosque targeted After 9-11, during the 90s, during the 2000s, um, our our community has been targeted for terrorism so many times. This is directly as a result of the rhetoric that has been happening for years around Muslims. The media has created us as this type of these people that, you know, should be feared. We're not to be feared. In fact, now we're the ones that are doing the fearing. We're the ones that fear. So, you know what, whatever goes around, comes around eventually. And now it's coming back to haunt us again.
1: Uh, Selma, I'll ask you, there was uh, I, the talk of, hey, let's do a, uh, an inquiry into Islamophobia from the, pol- the politicians who were at the vigil uh, this week. What do you want to see happen? Uh, what, what would you like to see politicians do in order to try and tackle this problem?
5: Hmm. Um, I think, um, you know, like Maryam is saying, that this issue hasn't been taken as seriously, I think, as it needs to be um, to recognize white supremacy as the predominant threat in the country. Um, I think you can't um, deny that policies like Bill fifty one are, aren't institutionalized Islamophobia that are, you know, legislated in this country that deny Muslim women amongst anybody uh, else who wants to Demonstrate their faith from taking on um, leadership positions in, in civic roles. Um, you can't say that that's not institutionalized Islamophobia. Um, and then show up at our vigil and uh, expect, express your condolences to the community when you have had a hand in making Islamophobia mainstream and part of the structures of this country. Um, that's unacceptable in my view. Um, and so I think like dismantling and expressing extreme, you know, dissatisfaction and anger at these kinds of policies is uh, just the bare minimum. Um, I think we have uh, organizations like NCCM who have been leading the call for a national summit on Islamophobia to really understand and describe the the depth and the extent to which Muslims are dealing with Islamophobia in this country. Um, And I think... Understanding that words have consequences, that individuals who are um, using hateful rhetoric and who are xenophobic, who are Islamophobic, who are racist, um, have no place in our, uh, our political discourse. Um, if you have someone like Doug Ford, who's taking pictures with Faith Goldie during the election, the Ontario election, that's un- that should be unacceptable. That should immediately disqualify um, individuals from holding public office. Um, from sharing space with individuals who have a record of, you know, saying things that are Islamophobic, that are racist, that are xenophobic, that perpetuate hate in our, in our country. Um, And that's not currently the intolerance for intolerance that we're seeing. And that's what we need from all levels of government to say, if we want Muslims to be safe here, then it needs to be coming from you know all policy levels and um, it needs to be taken seriously. And I, and I think that's part of the frustration and the anger that Muslims are having currently, um, that you know thoughts and prayers are being expressed. People will show up to vil- vigils when we're dead, but there's very little being done to make sure that we stay alive. So,
3: Craig, can I, Go ahead. Can I jump Please. in on, on something that someone was just saying too? Um, whether it was yesterday or... or really at any times over the last 48 to 72 hours, some of the political rhetoric that's been espoused by some of our leaders doesn't reconcile with the actions. Mm -hmm. And um, it's nice to say the nice things and the things that people think that should be said. um, But it's another thing to try to reconcile that with past actions and and hopefully with future actions. And so whether we're talking about, um, you know, that, symbolic non-binding motion to condemn Islamophobia in the House of Parliament where 91 members of Parliament voted against that, uh, particularly from one specific party, uh, predominantly from one specific party, um, it rings hollow to me to then have many of those 91 express sympathies and condolences with the community when they did not um, have the, the, the fortitude uh, to, to actually come forward and 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 um condemn it for what it was and to, to vote in support of that motion ostensibly on the basis that there was no fixed definition of what islamophobia is so give me just give me a break right And then or we have the premier of Quebec um who who issues a statement yesterday condemning Islamophobia when he was the the main the main uh protagonist uh, who who advanced Bill 21 in Quebec which is a law that institutionalizes racism and discrimination against religious minorities who are faced with a false and flawed choice between the practice of their faith and the practice of their profession. To say that a woman who wears a hijab on her head can't be a teacher, to say that a man who wears a yarmulke on his head can't be a, 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 a judge, to say that a man who wears a turban, a Sikh man who wears a turban on his head can uh, you know, can't be a public civil civil servant, really is, is um, I don't understand, and, and there's smarter people than me, three of which on, on this call right now, <laughs> reconcile that for me. How do we reconcile the somebody who says, I condemn this, but yet you're the catalyst for institutionalizing these types of policies? So whether we're talking about it in Quebec or the federal, uh, at the federal level, or even at the provincial level, uh, that circle doesn't square that square doesn't circle
4: uh, on that one so i have an idea how about how about inviting politicians to come and listen instead of to come and speak Mm. because to be honest with you i was really disappointed yesterday with pretty much all of the federal politicians and the provincial politicians for coming to london to use a funeral vigil as a campaign platform, speech, stump speech, whatever you want to call it, yep. whatever it is that they did yesterday campaigning, it really disappointed me. And it, and it actually, it it took away from the seriousness and the gravity and the the sadness that we actually feel around this. And I was appalled, actually, that people were cheering and booing, um, and the politicians were actually egging it on. And I thought, really? This is, this is our poli- th- these are our representatives mm-hmm. from Justin Trudeau to, to, to Erin O'Toole to Jagmeet Singh to, um, I can't remember her name, the, the Green Party leader. Enemy um, Paul. Henry, yeah, they, they, hers was okay. But the rest of them, they should be ashamed of themselves. They should be ashamed of themselves. I'm yeah. so irritated and so upset about how it played out yesterday. Those politicians should have been quiet, sat down and listened to what the Muslim community had to say to them, because they can't make us feel better until we're feeling safe and we're not safe right now. And all of them are culpable. Every single one of them up there is culpable.
3: And our leaders, uh, Craig, our our local leaders, um, you know, they came through. They uh, came through Yeah, our our local leaders. So whether it was the chief of police Stevens or our director of education at the end, who were really, I I think. Some of the only ones that actually spoke about the family by name, yep. that gave personal stories.
1: And I thought Mark thought Fisher did a great them. job. I thought he, he <laughs> talked about the he talked about the student, he talked about the the, the young girl, he talked about Yumna and what what she meant to the school community, her hopes, her dreams. That's what right. that that's what I thought that event was supposed to be about. You know, P-
3: precisely, precisely. We were there. We were there coming together to mourn as a collective <laughs> community. We were coming there to to grieve together. Um, I didn't go there to hear political stump speeches from politicians a year out from a federal and a provincial election. And I echo exactly Miriam's point when I thought it was, if I'm being, if I'm trying to be as polite as possible, and I will be, uh, Mm -hmm. I thought it was in bad taste. uh, And that's the, that's the best way that I can, I can say it. And so um, I, I, I thought there was an opportunity there and respectfully our, our, our federal and provincial politicians, um, they they whiffed on the pitch. They missed. They missed the pitch there.
1: Selma, so, do you agree with that, or do you have a different view?
5: Um, I, I I'm having a hard time with this because I personally I would I would agree for the most part with uh, Mari Manati in the sense that I, I felt like it became a very politicized event and I I, I didn't go necessarily wanting to hear from. Every party leader and every level of government. Um, I, I would have much preferred it be an event that, you know, held space for community and was a, a space for collective healing, yeah. uh, which isn't what happened. Um, at the same time, I recognize that um, for a lot of different individuals, having the prime minister come and spend time with community members and, uh, you know, people close to the, the victims of this attack, that that meant something for them. Um, and I, at the same time, don't want to take that away. Um, that, you know, for people who, ha- you know, we've all been affected, but for the people really close and central to this tragedy, that, um, you know, having that attention from those party leaders, that that meant something to them. And yes. uh, I don't know if I'm necessarily the person to take that away.
3: And I I just want to clarify my point on that, which is, I think it was very appropriate for the prime minister to attend and to speak. I think it was very appropriate for the premier to attend and to speak uh, to speak. The mayor, right, what I I thought was um, less appropriate was to have um, leaders of, you know, uh, the Green Party, provincially and federally, to have Um, uh, Stephen Del Duca to have like, please come more and join with us, right? But I think when everybody, when you add the totality of everybody who said it was a hot night, people were literally passing out. Mm. And uh, I thought it took away from the core reason of why we were there
4: yeah and and just to add to that um selma i do think the prime minister should have been there i actually think everybody should have been there i don't want to take that away from anybody but i don't think they should have spoken i think they should have listened i think that's the point here is that this was not about the prime minister this was about the family this was not about O'Toole or any of the other politicians but that's what it became about and that's what bothers me about this and and um and in fact i think that you know, you want to do this justice, give the mayor more time, give the people that are in this community that are going to have to clean up this mess more time to speak about our community. It was, I don't want to use the word, I was just going to use a really bad, like uh, um, politically filled word. It was taken over by um, politics, (laughs) by politics, and it should have been, it should have been, um, it should have been a somber, reflective, healing event for the community, um, for Londoners, for all Londoners, for all of Canada even. I mean, there's people everywhere that are feeling terribly about this. And we all need to heal. But hearing a stump speech is not going to make me feel better. What's going to make me feel better is like, all of us coming together and telling each other that we love each other and that we're going to get through this that's not what i heard yesterday it, it,
3: it, it was that so where i i agree with most of what you said but i still where i think i may be part ways is it was that to me it was a healing okay. coming together it was that um uh, shining a light on this it was a a moment of unity uh, i'm not taking away i thought that i thought the visual was incredibly mm-hmm. well done and i thought it, it served the purpose and so for me i'm not it's almost like if if we were using the analogy of shining a light on this um it was uh it was it did the job. it, sh- it the light was sh- shined on this it just um, it was a 60 watt bulb maybe we sh- we could have had a 100 watt bulb on that one right but uh, i think all in all it was you also have to remember it was done on incredibly short notice mm-hmm. we're talking hours right and uh uh so i don't want to get too critical in retrospect and be that monday morning quarterback i think it it ticked off a lot of the boxes where where i would uh, agree with Miriam uh, is that we didn't need every politician. It would have been just the Prime Minister, the Premier and the Mayor if it was up to me but it wasn't. So,
1: Before we wrap up here, uh, what what can the London community, now that we've the, the, the vigil has passed, what can the London community do for our Muslim friends and neighbours right now? What do you hope to see from Londoners outside of the Muslim community as we uh, uh, traverse the next uh, few weeks here, as we still sort of reconcile this, this horrific thing that's happened? <laughs>
5: I think maybe some of it is um, interpersonal. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, at an interpersonal level, there's a lot to be done. Um, tell your Muslim friends, neighbors, coworkers that you're thinking of them, that you're holding space for them. Um, I know a lot of specifically visibly Muslim women are I don't want to say fearful of leaving the house, but, you know, have a lot of um, anxiety at being in public right now. And so I've had a lot of friends message me and say, hey, you know, if that's the situation that you're in, I'm happy to be your walking buddy, errand buddy, whatever it is that you need. Um, Just small acts of kindness, I think, go a long way to making people feel safe. Um, I think that's at an interpersonal level, at a policy level. Um, make your disdain heard to the people that uh, have decision-making capacity, um, that um, we won't be tolerating xenophobia or Islamophobia, and to, to listen to the Muslim community when we feel like those are the sentiments that are being uh, expressed by people in power. Um, and so, you know, that take the lead of the Muslim community when we say that this is an issue and it's coming from these specific people. Um, and and um, don't continue to elect them and give them power.
4: Annie, I do you want to? I can. I'll uh, I'll to yeah, okay, thank you. Um, well, again, it is. It is. You know, reach out to your Muslim um, neighbors and friends. Um, if you've never introduced yourself to a friend, a Muslim friend, or something like like to sorry, if you've never introduced yourself to a Muslim person, you know, it's weird because you don't want people coming up to you all the time, but we're a pretty friendly group of people. And if you say hello to us, we'll say hi back. (laughs) Um, But on a national level, I think that we do have to call um, for stronger uh, protective measures around our mosques, um, around synagogues, even because there's been hate crimes towards um, Jewish people as well. There's been tons of hate crimes, actually um towards muslims towards jewish people towards sick people so we really need to have a national strategy on islamophobia on anti-semit on on all of it and to try to ensure that people are made safe another um thing you can do is you know attend anti-racist um workshops and whatnot and educate yourself
3: yeah maybe i'll i'll just speak to that real quick craig um um i think the takeaway is there's a micro answer and there's a macro answer to that, mm-hmm. and I think after we are we're done with our period of mourning and grieving the loss of this family, it's it'll be the time for introspection and self reflection um, for all members of our larger community to ask ourselves: um, Could we have done anything differently? Uh, to and if so, what 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 would that be? Uh, and to to ask difficult questions that may have even more difficult answers. And not to just talk about it, not just to to engage in rhetoric about it, not just to say, we want to do this or we we think we should do that, but then to actually do it. Uh, And I mean that on an individual micro level, members of the larger community, members of the Muslim community, members of every member, right, Uh, of of our, our collective community. And then on the macro scale, whether we're talking about it from a perspective of policy, whether we're talking about it from the perspective of education, And this may be more of a generational uh, uh, change. That might be what I'm saying is there's no silver bullet answer to this. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, But this, the same way that the George Floyd tragedy in the United States was a catalyst for greater um, consideration of the tough questions and a catalyst for change and for unity and coming together and, and asking those tough questions and questioning the system and questioning uh, those things. I, I feel that, I pray that, uh, that this, I don't think there's a better way that we can honor this family, uh, the legacy of this family than to have a, uh, sorry, I'm getting a little little choked up here, uh, mm-hmm. to have a a serious and real and long overdue conversation about How did we get to where we are and what are we going to do to make sure that this never happens again? And from a London perspective, it's just like, this is home. This is raw. This is real. This is, this is in our backyard. Like this is, it happened three minutes from where I'm sitting right now. And, you know, I know it's the same for Selma and Maryam and you too, Craig. It's just, just uh, talk is, talk is, has its value, but it's action. It's time for action.
1: I think that's uh, that's a good way to uh, to leave it. Uh, the, the three of you, uh, thank you so much for for doing this. Uh, I, I I so much appreciate it, and I uh, I hope a lot of folks uh, appreciate this conversation as well because it's uh, it's one that uh, we need to have in this community. So thank you to the three of you so much for doing this to me today. Thanks, Robert.
5: Thanks, Greg.
3: Thanks, Marion.
1: Thanks so much.
3: Thank you, guys.
0: Thank
1: you for listening
0: to this episode of the Blackburn News Podcast. Remember, you can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen at blackburnnews.com. The Blackburn News Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.